And if you have your Bibles, So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he had begun to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of God. Thank you, Em, and good morning, everybody. My name is Adam. If you don't know me, it's uh, wonderful to have you with us today as we continue our sermon series that we've called Reason to Believe. And to get us going this morning, I'd like to ask you that common proverbial question. Is the glass half empty or is the glass half full? Now, your answer to this question is supposed to reveal whether you're an optimist or whether you're a pessimist. Whether you're a trusting person, a receptive person, or whether you're a little bit more sceptical. To be honest, I probably tend to be a bit more sceptical. When I see a sign that says 90% off, or free food, or interest-free loan... My first thought is normally, what's the catch? Others of us, when we see signs like that, we tend to think, that sounds great. Let me in on that. You see, we're all different. Some of us are more sceptical, like me, and others of us are more trusting. But the truth is, there are times in life when trusting the word of somebody else is incredibly important. There are times in life when trusting, believing the word of someone else is the difference between life and death. Let me give you an example. In Caprun, which is in the Austrian Alps, there is a train that would carry people from the bottom of the mountain to the top of the slopes. This train, on its way up the mountain, it would travel through a long tunnel, about 3,000 metres long. And on the morning of the 11th of November in the year 2000, there were around 150 people on board this train, about 9am. 
But about 600 metres into the tunnel, the train came to a halt. Due to a mechanical failure, a fire had broken out in the rear of the carriage. And the fire began to consume the train and toxic smoke began to pour out into the tunnel. There were those who managed to smash the windows and escape the train carriage and they began to run up the tunnel away from the flames. But there was an off-duty fireman who had been on the train and he looked at what was happening and he began to cry out, No, we have to go down. We have to go down. He understood that the tunnel would become like a chimney and the smoke would travel up and it would suffocate anyone caught in its path. He knew the only chance for survival was to go down the tunnel towards the flames. Sadly, many people ignored him and they continued to run up the tunnel away from the flames. Twelve people, however, trusted and listened to the word of this man. They followed him down the tunnel through the flames. And they were the only survivors. See, they believed this man's word. And it was the difference between life and death. And in the passage that we read a moment ago, there is a man who believes the word of Jesus and it brings life to him, to his son and to his entire family. See, the truth is, Jesus speaks a word to every single one of us in this room. And the Bible says that whether we believe him or not, is the difference between life and death. See, as I mentioned, we kicked off a sermon series last week called Reason to Believe. For the next few weeks in the lead up to Easter, we're asking the question, well, do we have reason to believe in Jesus? Do we have reason to trust the word that Jesus has spoken to us? And to answer this question, we're looking at what, we, or what uh, is known as the seven signs from the Gospel of John. See, the Gospel of John is a record of Jesus' life and ministry. And in this Gospel account, John records seven significant miracles that Jesus performed during his life on earth. And John calls them signs because they point us to important truths about Jesus. They tell us about Jesus' identity and his mission. They give us a reason to believe in Jesus and to receive life in his name. See, this is why John has recorded these signs for us. Later in his Gospel account, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, these signs that he's recorded for us, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so last week, we looked at the very first sign that Jesus performed, turning water into wine. And we saw that Jesus did that because he is revealing his identity as the promised Messiah. He is telling us that God's kingdom has broken into human history and he is making all things new. This week, we're looking at the event, the story, where Jesus heals the son of the royal official. And what we're going to see is that this sign is not mainly about healing. This sign is mainly about faith. This sign teaches us that genuine faith in Jesus leads to genuine life from Jesus. 
that when we trust the word of Jesus, we receive life from Jesus. And this has relevance for every single one of us. See, there are some of us who have maybe walked into church this morning and we're just not really sure about Jesus. We're not even sure if, if God exists. There are others of us who have come in here this morning and we've got a faith in Jesus, but we're drifting from him. Some of us, we just want to go deeper with Jesus. Well, this sign is going to speak to every single one of us. And we're going to look at this sign and the two headings. It is a sign of genuine faith and it's a sign of genuine life. Let's look firstly at this story as a sign of genuine faith. Now, as the story begins, we're told that Jesus has returned to Cana in Galilee. Now, if you remember last week, you remember that it was in Cana where Jesus turned the water into wine. And he's come back, but this time we're introduced to a man who is known as, or is described as, an official. What this probably means is that this man worked for King Herod, the Roman governor of that region. It also means that he was probably a wealthy man and a powerful man. In fact, later in the story, we discover that he has servants. But we also learn that all is not well for this man. His son, we discover, is deathly sick. And so when he hears that Jesus has returned to Cana, he's in this nearby town of Cana. This man lives in Capernaum, which is about 35 kilometres away. He travels to Cana and he goes looking for Jesus. He wants Jesus to heal his son. And let me just say that this is often what propels our first step of faith. You see, when our world is shaken, when we receive that diagnosis, when someone we love receives that diagnosis, when our world is rocked, it often causes us to ask questions that we haven't asked before. It often propels us to go to places we haven't been before. It often causes us to look to the God that we haven't looked to before. This is why C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You see, often when we experience pain, when we lose control, we take our first step of faith towards Jesus. And this is true for this official. His son is sick and so he's going looking for Jesus. Now, how would he know to do that? Why would he know to go looking for Jesus? Well, the answer is that he had heard reports about Jesus. In verse 45, we're told that when Jesus came back to Galilee, he had come back from Jerusalem, where he had been for the Passover feast. Now, while he was in Jerusalem, Jesus had done many powerful deeds and many public miracles. And all those who were there had come back to Galilee, and they were telling everybody about what Jesus had done. And so Jesus had a growing reputation in Galilee as a miracle worker. And so this official is seeking Jesus because he wants a miracle. He wants his son to be healed. And this seems like a reasonable request, does it not? If you were in his shoes, I'd say that you would do exactly the same thing. This seems like something that Jesus would normally get involved in. So why does Jesus respond to this man the way that he does in verse 48? So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now this seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? 
I mean, this man's son is dying and Jesus seems to tell him off. Why would Jesus do this? Well, it's important to realise that Jesus is not speaking only to this man in his reply. You see, the you there in verse 48, unless you see signs and wonders, in the Greek text, that is plural. This is why the NIV translates it, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. See, Jesus is speaking to the Galileans. The people of Galilee were flocking to him, not because of who he was, but simply because of what he could do for them. In other words, Jesus is being treated like a sideshow performer instead of the Son of God. One commentator says, to the Galileans, Jesus offered entertainment and problem solving. They were not seeking Jesus as their saviour, but as a person who would do signs and wonders. They were seeking Jesus so that he could do something for them. And this is why the official is seeking Jesus as well. He's not really interested in who Jesus is. He's mainly interested in what Jesus can do for him. And this is why Jesus responds the way he does. And though it sounds harsh on the surface, it's actually incredibly loving. See, Jesus wants something better for this man and for his family than just physical healing. You see, you can be physically healed, but if you don't come to know Jesus, you remain spiritually dead to God. And that is a fate far worse than illness, disease, even death. And so Jesus doesn't just want to give this man and his son physical life. Jesus wants to give this entire family spiritual life. And for this to happen, this man needs to shift from seeing Jesus as just a miracle worker to seeing Jesus for who he really is, the Son of God, the Saviour of the world. And maybe this is true for some of us as well. Like we mentioned a moment ago, a lot of us, we come to Jesus looking for something from him. Maybe it's help in our grief, help with financial difficulty, help in our marriage, help with an illness. We come to Jesus for all different kinds of reasons and this is not a wrong thing and this is not a bad thing. Jesus loves to help us. Jesus wants to help us. But if we only come to Jesus because of what he can do for us or what he can give us, And when we get those things, or when we don't get those things, and then we walk away from Jesus, that reveals that we see Jesus more as a miracle worker than as the Son of God and the Saviour of the world. And Jesus wants to move this man, and he wants to move some of us, from a shallow faith that only comes to Jesus because of what he can do for us, to a genuine faith that recognises Jesus for who he really is and trusts him. Now, how do we know if we have genuine faith? How do we know if we have genuine faith in Jesus? Well, to help me explain this, let me tell you a very well-known story. In the 1800s, there was a, a French tightrope walker by the name of Charles Blondin. And he was extremely famous. And he was especially famous because he would walk on a tightrope that was stretched out across the Niagara Falls. And he would do some really amazing things on this uh, tightrope. One time he walked across blindfolded. One time he carried his manager on his back. One time he even walked across, sat down halfway, a midway point, cooked an omelette and then ate it. 
And so people saw him and they were just amazed by what this man could do. But the story goes that one time he loaded up a wheelbarrow and he pushed it across and then he came back and he he said to the crowd and he said, you just saw me go across with 90 kilograms in my wheelbarrow. And they cried out, yes, yes, amazing. He said, do you believe that I could take a human being safely across in this wheelbarrow? They said, yes, of course we do. He said, are you sure? He said, they said, absolutely, we believe you could do that. He said, well, who was going to hop in? Then get in my wheelbarrow. Silence. Crickets. No one would hop in the wheelbarrow. Why? Because it's one thing to believe intellectually in a miracle worker who can do amazing things. It is another thing entirely to entrust your life to that person. And the crowd are a good picture of shallow faith. I believe in Jesus intellectually. I believe he can do some amazing things. But I'm not going to get in that wheelbarrow. I'm not going to trust my life to him. I'm not going to obey him. See, genuine faith means you don't just believe with your mind. It means you entrust your entire life to Jesus. You act on what you believe about him. You trust him even in the midst of your pain and your confusion. You get in the wheelbarrow. And this is what Jesus wants for this man who has come to him, seeking the healing of his son. And this is why Jesus responds the way that he does to this man. So how is this man going to respond to Jesus? I mean, he's in the midst of grief and here Jesus has basically just told him off. What's he going to do? Well, amazingly, this father does not get angry. He does not get indignant. He does not even get downcast. He persistently says to Jesus, Sir, come down before my child dies. You can feel his desperation, can't you? He's begging Jesus to come back with him, to come back to his home and to heal his son. And the reason that he wants Jesus to come back to his home is that he assumes that if Jesus is going to be able to heal his son, then Jesus actually needs to be present there. He actually probably needs to lay hands on him or administer some kind of medicine. But again, this just reveals that he doesn't know who he's dealing with. He doesn't quite know Jesus for who he is, and so Jesus is about to show him. Jesus is about to reveal his power and his glory. Jesus said to him, Go. Your son will live. Jesus doesn't work up a sweat. He doesn't do a chant. Jesus doesn't even pray. He says, go, your son will live. I've said it and it will happen. Do you see the power of Jesus? Do you see what Jesus is claiming here? He's claiming to be able to heal simply by his word. Now, there is no one in human history that has been able to do that. Only God can do that. God speaks and it happens. In the creation account in Genesis 1, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. That verse doesn't say, and God said, let there be light, and God went off and made some light. No, God speaks and it happens. And here is Jesus facing our greatest enemy, death. And he's not phased. He doesn't break out in a sweat. He doesn't pray. He's not appealing to a higher power. He is the higher power. He's not calling on God. He is God. 
He speaks and it happens. And so this man has a choice. Do I believe the word of Jesus or do I not? Do I trust what Jesus has said to me or do I not? The man believed the word of Jesus, the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. See, this man is beginning to realise I'm not just dealing with a miracle worker here. I'm dealing with someone far more significant. And so he trusts the word of Jesus and he makes his way home. And this is the beginning of genuine faith. He's not there yet, but he's moving towards a personal trust in Jesus. He's moving towards genuine faith. And because he's on the journey towards genuine faith, he's also on the journey towards genuine life. And this is what we see happens next. Before the father even gets home, his servants have come running out to meet him to tell him, that his little boy is recovering, that his son will live. Look at what goes on next in verses 52 to 53. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. That's about 1 p.m. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. Do you see the progression of faith in this story? See, first, the father was moved to seek Jesus because of the illness of his son. Then the father believed that if Jesus would just come to his house, then he could heal his son. Then he believed Jesus' promise that he had healed his son from a distance. And now he and his entire household believe. What do they believe? They believe in Jesus They don't just believe that Jesus is a miracle worker. They believe in the words of John chapter 20, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing they have life in his name. You see, genuine faith leads to genuine life. Trusting the word of Jesus leads to the gift of life from Jesus. Not just physical life, but spiritual life. See, the son is alive and well, but the whole family have come to know Jesus, the life giver. They've received eternal life from God. Now, maybe you're wondering, well, what about physical healing? I mean, Jesus has very obviously healed this boy in this story, so should we still ask Jesus for healing today? Of course, the answer is yes. There are multiple places in the New Testament where we are encouraged to pray for healing. 1 Corinthians 12 says, To one is given gifts of healing by the one Spirit. James 5 says, The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. We should pray for healing. Now how should we do that? Let me put it as simply as I can. We ask God and we trust God. We ask God believing that he can heal. And we trust God, whatever the outcome might be. We trust God, even when he says no. And we pray like Jesus prayed in the garden. Not my will, but yours be done. See, we won't always get the answer that we want, and and sometimes it will break our heart. But even then, genuine faith 
acknowledges that God is in control, trusts that God will bring good out of this, and it believes in the promises that God has made to us. We ask God and we trust God. And we know that even if we're not healed physically, because of Jesus, we have been healed spiritually. We have received life from God. And this is ultimately why Jesus came, to give us eternal life with God. And he says to each and every one of us, will you believe? Will you trust my word? Let me ask you, do you believe in Jesus, the life giver? I'm not asking if you've been around church for a while. I'm not asking were you baptised or you turn to God when bad things happen in your life. I'm asking, do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God? Do you entrust your entire life to him? Have you hopped into the wheelbarrow? Maybe you're thinking, Adam, I'm, I'm not ready. I, I don't think God would accept me. I've got doubts, I've got questions, I've got struggles, I've got stuff in my life. Let me ask you this. When you hop into the wheelbarrow, what is it that ensures that you get to the other side? It's not the strength of your faith. It's the strength of the one who carries you. And Jesus is the one who speaks and it happens. Jesus is the one who loves you so deeply he laid his life down for yours. Jesus is the one who raises the dead and who rose from the dead. Jesus is the one who gives us, as a gift, life with God. And he invites you to trust him. Will you hop into the wheelbarrow? To close, let me highlight the trustworthiness of Jesus by sharing something that I read this week about Jesus. Listen carefully. Before the universe existed, he was there, full of the Holy Spirit, the beloved Son of God, the Father. He made all things, even the starry host, by the breath of his mouth. He said, light shine and light was. He spoke and it came to be. He rules and upholds the entire universe by the word of his power. And yet, he's not too big for your problems and mine. He is concerned for our problems. He saw us perishing in our sins and he decided to do something about it. He came to planet Earth. He was born as a weak and speechless baby, the creator of heaven laid in a manger. He grew up and lived a life of such utter love and self-giving it continues to astonish the world. And then, for you and for me, he laid down his life, was lifted up on a cross to suffer hell in our place. He shared his own infinitely precious blood, the blood of God. So much does the creator of the cosmos love you. He was laid in the tomb, but three days later he burst out again, the conqueror of death and of sin, of wrath and of evil. He has ascended to the throne of God. And he rules the universe as our brother, as our priest, as our lamb, as our Lord, as our king. And soon he will return to raise the whole creation to new, perfect resurrection life. 
And so soon we will be feasting at his table and praising him, the one who loves us more than his own life. This Jesus, he rules the universe and he rules your life. Will you trust him? That's the question we have to answer. Will we trust him? And I want to pray for us this morning. And I want to pray for some of us who perhaps for the first time want to say, yes, I do want to trust Jesus. Maybe some of us want to say, yes, Jesus, I've drifted from you and I want to put my trust in you again. I'm going to pray a prayer for us. And I just want you, if that's you, to just pray this prayer in your heart. The prayer does not save us. Jesus saves us. The prayer is an expression of our faith, of us wanting to put our trust in Jesus. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, for too long I've kept you out of my life. I know that I'm sinful and that I cannot save myself. No longer will I reject your word and your promise. By faith, I gratefully receive your gift of salvation and new life. I trust you as my Lord and Saviour. Thank you for coming from heaven to earth. I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross for our sin and rose from the dead. Thank you for bearing my sin and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe your words are true and from this day forward I will live for you. Amen. If you need to talk with someone about what that means to follow Jesus and journey with Jesus, talk to the person that maybe you came with, talk to a good friend of yours or get in touch with the church office. We would love to encourage you as you walk this journey of faith with Jesus. And let's stand now and let's sing to our great King and Lord, Jesus. Oh